Anyway, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, or I was working with this uh, guy in a pizzeria one time. He was Jewish, and he said, uh, and I, I don't know what it, he said, well, what book are you reading? I said, Nehemiah. He goes, what? I said, Nehemiah. He goes, where's that? I said, in the Bible. He goes, no, it's not. It's Nehemnia. I said, I'm not Jewish. But anyway, Nehemnia. So Nehemiah. Chapter 4, hang out there, and uh, we're going to get to that verse in a little bit. But today I want to talk to you about being a repairer of walls. And I'm not talking about physical walls, but I am talking about a repairer of walls. Why are walls so important in our lives? Kind of simple, they mark out our boundary line or our property line. They keep out unwanted intrusion. But they allow a country and a peoples to have sovereignty. They allow a nation to govern itself. Walls establish a culture. When you want to conquer a nation, you break down its walls. You overwhelm its borders with foreign invaders. You destroy its vibrant cultural identity by the breaking down of walls. This is how the Assyrian conquered the northern tribes of Israel after Samaria fell. An Assyrian governor was placed over the land, thus incorporating all of Israel into Assyria's provincial system. Many Israelites were taken captive by Assyria. In place of these foreign upper in place, of these, in place of these foreign upper class of people were imported. This manner of mixing population had been instituted as a means of diminishing chances of rebellion. It also worked religious havoc. The foreigners also brought their own native ideas of deity and manner of worship. This influx resulted in a synchronized religion in which both the false deities and God were revered. This comes out of the survey of Israel. As I was studying about walls, this, I began to think about the history of Israel. I began to think about when Assyria captured Israel and over, overcame them. And also when Babylon took over the Jerusalem or Judah, they broke down their walls and they took the people captive. Now, in the... In, this, in the history of things and showing God is in control, when Israel was taken captive, when the ten tribes of Israel were taken captive, God, God allowed it, and, and, and as you can see, they brought, in, they brought in foreign upper class to begin to confuse the people now, to mix the people and to, and to rob them of their identity. But when it came to the southern part of Israel, or um, uh, Judah, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, the two tribes that were left over after, after the rebellion. God took that nation, that God took those, those tribes and he brought them into captivity. He brought them into captivity because where, what line did Jesus, what tribe did Jesus come out of? Judah. And so God could not, God dealt differently with Judah and Benjamin than he did with the other 10 tribes. And the reason why is he had to keep the, the tribe of Judah intact because the Messiah was going to come through there. 
And so we see that walls are important in, in our lives. And when Judah's, wall, when Judah's walls were breached in 586 B.C., they were taken captivity into Babylon for 70 years. And now this was to fulfill the prophecy that was done by Jeremiah the prophet. And then, they were, then there was this return. And in their return, this is where I'm going to get to, uh, and it concerns the walls. Now Israel has a history and it involves walls, the walls of Jericho. In Joshua 6.20, it says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, and so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. What's the first thing that Israel came, came up against when they were beginning, beginning to enter the promised land was walls. And while walls seemed to have been a problem for Israel, it wasn't a problem for God. He already gave them the marching orders, and he already gave them the plan on how to overcome the wall. March around, march around the city one time every day. Then on the last day, march around seven times. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, shout, and the walls will come down. And so God took care of the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jerusalem. When, when David was made king, he immediately wanted to, to um, basically have a city and begin to build, uh, begin to begin to build. Begin to call this the city of David. So David being the warrior that he was, he sees this city and it's walled. And he wants to take it. And so the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The, Jeb the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off, they thought. David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David has said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. 2 Samuel 5, 6-8. So we see when David was anointed king and the, the tribes are together, David wants to build a city, and the city that he chooses is a city that has a wall. And so David, being the strategic man that he is, re realizes our way in is through the water shaft. They're over there telling him, nah, 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 you're not getting in. Even the blind and lame, you, you know, they're, they're on the top of the wall. And David goes through, basically goes through the water tunnel and takes, the, takes captive the city. And so we see in Israel's history, there are walls. There's still a wall that the Jewish people go to as a place of reverence. It's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. It's in the old city of Jerusalem, a place of prayer and pilgrimage sacred to the Jewish people. It is the only remains of the retaining wall surrounding the Temple Mount, the site of the first and sec second temples of Jerusalem, held to be uniquely holy by the ancient Jews. So the Jewish people still identify with walls. They, they remember the walls of Jericho. They remember the, wall of the walls of the, of the Jebusites or of Jerusalem. 
and they go to a place, to basically a wailing wall, or a place to pray, a place to, uh, uh, to uh, meditate, or a place to uh, go as pilgrimage, as a holy site, the wailing wall. So to the Jewish people, walls have significance. I want to ask you this question. Does God value walls? You know, we hear today that walls are immoral. But the same people that tell us that walls are immoral live behind walls. So in, in a way, if they call walls immoral and they live behind the walls, well, what does that make them? Immoral. So the self-fulfilling prophecy. But does, what does, does God value walls? Revelations 21, 9 through 14. One of the seven angels, let me try that again. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So God values walls just as well. The new Jerusalem is a walled city. And it's not only such a walled city, it's, it's a spectacular city in the fact that they said the walls are, are of like precious jasper. They, and they fit, and the, the glory of God is reflected through it. So this, is, this, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that where we will dwell is a walled city. So God values walls. Now, when, as we begin to draw this in, we see that Nehemiah is moved because of the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. It says in Nehemiah verses 1, 1 through 4, that Nehemiah wept when he heard the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, and I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, the wall had significance in the life of the Jewish people. So much so that when the news was brought back to Nehemiah that the walls had not been rebuilt, that the gates were still burned, that the place was in disarray, it moved him so much that he mourned for the walls. And he broke down and he wept before God over the situation of the walls of Jerusalem. Now you could say to me, well, walls, they're just, it's an, it's an object. It's just a thing. It's a defining line. 
Why would someone weep over an object? Because walls have significance. Walls are things that are made for protection. Walls are things that are made for identity. Walls are things that are made for, for um, strategic defense, not offense. You're on the offense when you're running to get in behind the wall. You're on defense when you're on top of the wall, seeing out against your enemy and attacking them. Walls have significance. And because the walls of Jerusalem were of such value and significance to Nehemiah, he was moved when he heard the condition of the walls. Now, in this situation, when Nehemiah finds himself, and he begins to beseech the Lord, and as he's beseeching the Lord, he's also, remember, he is captive in, in, in Babylon. He is, he's one, of the, he's one of the captives. He's a cupbearer to the king. So he's far away from, the, from Jerusalem, but he mourns over the condition of the walls. And, and, he, and as a man, uh, as a Nehemiah, as a cupbearer to the king, he goes before the king. And you know when you go before the king, you're not supposed to be sad. Whatever's going on in your life has to take second nature to serving the king. And so the king real, notices Nehemiah's condition that he's sad, and he questions him and says, and he says to him, why, why is your face downcast? Why are you sad? And, and he begins to question him, ask him what's going on. And, and Nehemiah tells him what's going on. And as he's telling him what's going on, Nehemiah offers a quick prayer to God. And he asks for permission to go, to go to the city of his people. And he begins to rebuild the wall. And the king grants him his request. Matter of fact, it, he not only grants him his request, he asks, well, when are you going to be back? So he allows him to go, but he, he, val he values Nehemiah so much that he, he, he's, he's lending him out for a time and for a purpose, but he also wants him back. But he, he's lending him out for the purpose of fulfilling God's purpose and the thing that he mourned about, the broken down walls. And you see, in our nation, there are broken down walls. You can say, well, uh, it's obvious we hear about it on the news, but those aren't the walls I'm talking about. I'm talking about broken down walls in, uh, in the lives of people. I'm talking about the, 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 the walls of, that are broken down in our culture. I'm talking about the walls that are broken down that, we, that, that uh, people are confused on what makes, us, what makes us a, a, a man a man and a woman a woman. And can a man, can a man ha have a menstrual cycle? Can a man get pregnant? Can this, the, 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 the walls of the sexes are broken down. The protection over our children, those walls are broken down and the enemy wants to get in and confuse them with sexual identity and even uh, naming them uh, in a particular way. Well, if you feel this way, one day you can be that. If you feel this way, one day you can be that and begin to send so confusion into the lives of young children. The walls of our children are broken down. The walls of culture are broken down, that people begin to want to instigate one race against another race, one culture against another culture. And those walls are broken down. Single parent families, those walls are broken down. 
abortion, the safest place for a child should be in the womb, that wall is broken down. And so we see all of this devastation, all of these broken down walls. And as Nehemiah wept and prayed over those broken down walls, we need, to be, we need God to move on our heart that we begin to weep and, and, and beseech God for the broken down walls that are in our own society. But we can even bring it closer to home. See, when God made you in the, in the womb, and, and, it's, and, and as it says in the Bible, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That when he, God was knitting you together, he gave you gifts. Your first baby shower wasn't from your mom. Your first baby shower came from God because he showered you with gifts. And all of us have gifts from God. It's how we use those gifts. If we recognize those gifts. And we all have gifts that God has given us. Some of them are natural to, and they produce out of us the fruit that allows us to have a, have a life. And then there are some that are used for the church, for God, for the purpose of building up the kingdom. Some of us teach, some of us serve, some of us greet. Some of us work with the homeless. Some of us work with feeding the poor. Some of us preach or try. Some prophesy. Some minister to the hurting. God has given each and every one of us gifts. And when we recognize our gifts, we have to say, okay, Lord, here's the gift. I'm going to use it to build up the wall. But we all have gifts. And so when Nehemiah gets to this place now, when he gets to Jerusalem and he begins to survey the situation, he be before he begins the, wor the work, he encourages the people. And today... I want to encourage you with the same encouragement that Nehemiah gave to the people before they began to build the wall. And it's found in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. I've been on this um, scripture for weeks. When I was reading it, it just jumped up at me, and I was, and I was like, oh, wow. It, just, it was an encouragement, in it, and it ministered to me, and, it, and, and I, just, I, I kept going back and visiting it, kept going back and visiting it, and I'm still there. Weeks later, I'm still there. Nehemiah 4.14 says this, When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now I want to read this in a different translation because I like this translation. And it's, it's the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See, the thing is, is there's a fight that we have to have. And me being from Brooklyn, I like a good fight. Pastor being from the Bronx, he likes a good fight. But we got to fight the fight that God is asking us to fight. And the fight that he's asking us to fight 
is to rebuild the walls of a broken down society. See, it's the church's job to do it. Because the people don't know that the walls are broken down. Amen, Pastor. They don't get it. They, they sit and they scratch their head and said, how have, we gotten, how have we gotten this far this fast? Because the walls were broken down. Little by little, they began to take down the walls. And little by little, people didn't notice that the walls were broken down. And all of a sudden, things are deteriorating around them because there's no walls left. They're broken down. How could we say that a man can have a menstrual cycle? The walls are broken down. How could we not have 65 million children living, in, living on the earth today because the walls are broken down? How is it that families cannot stay intact any longer because the walls are broken down? How is it that people don't, e don't even pursue marriage anymore? They just pursue living together because the walls are broken down. How is it that a child can identify as the opposite sex that they are and it be encouraged? Not only did it be encouraged, it gets celebrated because the walls are broken down. How can there be 96 sexes when there's only two? Because the walls are broken down. Cis, this, gender, this, uh, this, that, they, I, we, them, fluid. What is that? That's insanity. The walls are broken down. 20 or 30 years ago, you wouldn't have thought this was possible because the walls were still up. They may have been teetering, but all of a sudden they came down. And how did we get here? The walls have been broken down. And the enemy is in the camp. We're going to talk about this. But we have to understand something. God puts the responsibility on us to rebuild the walls. Because no one really realizes that the walls are down. They're just confused of how did we get here. And so Nehemiah, before he begins to, before they begin the, the build, he begins to encourage the people, let's get ready to rebuild the walls. And what does he tell them as he's all looking at the situation? He calls together the nobles, and that's you all. You're very noble for being here on a Wednesday night. Look at your partner and say, hey, guess what? I'm noble. Amen. What he does, he calls the nobles together, and he says to them three things. First thing, don't be afraid of the enemy. Second thing that he says is remember the Lord, remember your God, who is great and glorious. And then he gives them a personal thing. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. So let's break this down and let's begin to see we got a fight ahead of us, amen? And when you got a fight ahead of you, you got to be in good shape to fight. Right? And I'm not talking physical, because if that's the case, I, I, I just give up. Just beat me up now. I can use a good beating, I got to be honest with you. But the truth is, is we have to get spiritually prepared to fight. Because we're fighting in the name of the Lord. 
And when you fight in the name of the Lord, that's not a fight of the flesh, that's a fight of the spirit. And when you're fighting in the name of the Lord, you've got to watch your tongue. When you're fighting in the name of the Lord, you need to know who your enemy is. You say, oh, it's the devil. Oh, it's more than the devil. There's manifest enemies of the gospel, of the church, of Christianity, and of religion. Well, brother, you know, God calls us to love everybody. Yes, God calls us to love everybody, but it doesn't he didn't call us to tolerate the sin, nor did, he, nor did he call us to tolerate the sin overtaking the people, nor did he call us to allow it to prevail in a nation or in a people. Well, we just have to love everybody. Yes, I can love, I can love you, but I can call you evil at the same time. And I can know what love is, and I can know what wickedness is. And I can look at those who practice wickedness, and you can call them wicked, regardless, regardless of the fact whether they receive it or not. The fact is, is love is honesty. Love is courage. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing. See, we've, we've, we've made love vanilla. We made love in such a way, well, we don't want to rock the boat. Okay, well, we didn't rock the boat. Look where we're at now. And taking on a lot of water. There's love and there's also justice. So let's begin to look at these things. First thing he says is, don't be afraid of the enemy. Now I'm going to talk about natural and supernatural in this thing. One way to conquer the walls of our lives, one way to conquer the walls of our lives or to be conquered is through fear. A whole people were overcome by fear in these last two years. Overcome. Many people in our, in our nation over the last two years were overcome by fear through psychological warfare. A bombardment of if you don't do this, you will die. If you don't do this, grandma will die. If you don't do this, this person will die. They threw at them the fear of death so much. Then they threw the fear so much, they said, well, if you take this, you'll get better. And then the people took it, and they didn't get better. Matter of fact, they told him, if you take it, you can take, you can take off your mask. And then two months later said, did you take it yet? Well, you need to put your mask back on or you'll get it again. What's that? That's fear. How do you, how do you capture a people? You capture a people through fear. And so the first words that Nehemiah speaks to the people is, don't be afraid of the enemy. The constant bombardment by our government officials and the media over a virus that had a 99% recovery rate, and they threw fear and people believed it. The subjugating of its citizens through the wearing of masks. The physical outward appearance that you've been captured. 
at the beginning, we believed it. And we, we did it, and we went to, but then it became mandated. Then it became a place where they forced it on you, and you couldn't go here, and you couldn't do this, and you couldn't participate in this, and you can't go there, and you got to stay six feet away, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. Why? To keep the people bound in fear. And as people rise up, out of their frustration, they face the fear of being labeled a terrorist, an insurrectionist, a misogynist, a transphobe, a homophobe. What does that have to do with a virus? See, when you begin to wake up and you begin to fight back, the first thing they do is label you. Why? To put you back in fear. I, I'm not... I'm not a racist, I'm not a homophobe, I'm not a misogynist, I'm not a terrorist, I'm not a insurrectionist, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not any of those. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. Even the baby's getting it. Why do they do that? I'll tell you why they do it. Again, it's psychological warfare. They do that. It's meant to produce fear that people will then be again, will again be marginalized, canceled, or made destitute through, through a whole groups of people. I can't do that. I'm afraid I'll lose my job. If, if I don't get vaccinated, I, I can't go to work. If I speak out, I'll get canceled. If I speak out, do you understand what's happening? Now it's not a physical mask. It's an invisible mask. Shut up or we'll do this, we'll do that. You racist, you terrorist, you insurrectionist. Do you understand? They start throwing names at you. Well, uh, and we're afraid of the names. We're afraid of being labeled. What does it matter what people calls you when he doesn't call you none of those? Amen? I got to keep moving because I got a lot to get to. And, um, okay, all right. I'll keep going though, all right? Okay, so that's the natural part of the thing. Now I want to talk to you about the supernatural part. See, the supernatural part is this. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8. See, the enemy knows where your walls are weak, and he looks to exploit and breach your walls. Remember when I told you when God created in the womb, he gave you gifts, right? He gave you certain strengths but he also gave you certain weaknesses. Why did he give us certain weaknesses? Because if he would only give us strength, we wouldn't have needed God. Amen, Pastor. Or we wouldn't have needed each other. See, where I'm weak, you're strong. Where you're weak, I'm strong. And so 
The, the reason that he did that was to join a people group together. But the reason why he also did that personally was so that we would begin to look for God and call out to God in our places of weaknesses, in our places of devastation, in our places of brokenness, in our places of desert. Do you understand what I'm saying? God put a weakness in us so that we would seek after him. And then he joined us all together in our weaknesses to make us strong. Amen? See, but the enemy knows this. The enemy knows where your wall is weak and how to breach it. See, and unless I, unless I, I move to, to closer to somebody or I begin to tell them, look, this area of my life, the, these walls, they're all broken down. They're all, the enemy gets in and out in a moment's notice and I have no victory. Help me rebuild the wall. See, how can we rebuild? How can the church rebuild the, the society's walls if we can't rebuild our own walls? And so we need to be repairers of the walls in the body first so that we can go outside and be repairers of the walls in society. See, so the enemy comes in. I want to let you know something, that even when you're on your own, and the enemy is coming at your wall, and he's breaching it, and he's coming in the place where there's gaps. God is your firewall against the weakness of your wall. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may be able to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the word has to get so in us that when the temptation comes, when the weakness comes, we re what do we, when that happens, what happens? We run in the opposite direction. And what happens? The enemy pounces and he gets you and you fall and then he condemns you and then you're guilty and then you feel ashamed. And then you feel cut off from God. And the Bible tells us that we have one that was tempted in every way like us. He's a great high priest. Not only that, he's our advocate. We have a lawyer in heaven, and he's Jewish. <laughs> right? Amen. Who better to represent us? He can say, I know what that temptation's like because I was tempted with it. But, Father, I didn't sin. I'm the sacrifice for that sin. I cover them, Lord, with my blood. I cover them with the righteousness that you gave me, I have given to them. They're covered, Lord. Let's draw them back. You see, we have to know our position in Christ so that even in the places of momentary weakness and falling, we get back up because the Bible says that we're to approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Or boldness. Because we have an open invitation. So there's the natural part that we see. But then there's the spiritual part that we feel. Because you don't always see temptation coming. Because sometimes it hits you in the cabeza. And you begin to think about it. And you begin to get fearful. And then you massage that thing a little bit. And then next thing you know. You're in up to your neck in it. And it's at that point when we're not supposed to run from God, we can run to God because we have a great high priest 
who, had, who was familiar with our sins, matter of fact, was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. I love that part because there are some things that I'm not going to be tempted with, but someone else is. Do you dig where I'm coming from? Jesus was tempted the same way for that person as he was tempted for the same way for me. So we can't look at somebody else's weakness and say, well, you know, da, 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 you know we begin to what? Cast them down, discourage them, judge them. When we have to realize, just because, what, he's, what, he only died for my weakness? He died for your weakness as well. Amen, let's go on. So it's really a matter of trust. Do you trust what you see? Do you trust what you hear? Do you trust in government? Do you trust in your job? Do you trust in man? Matthew 10, 26 says this, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some are lower. Some you can count with one hand. I get it. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What did Nehemiah say? Don't fear the enemy. What did Jesus say? Don't fear man. Don't fear man. <laughs> Knowing who you are in the Lord and his word will deliver you from natural and supernatural fear. See, we have to know the word. We have to know what God says about us. So when, so when things are going on around us and when we, we got to take the stand and we have to be able to take the hit without fear. See, when people see you can do it without fear, courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Let's go on to number two. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. There's three ways to remember that. One, by what he did for us, by what he did for ancient Israel. Noah's Ark, the burning bush, the ten plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the overthrow of the Egyptian army, water out of a rock in a desert. That's one of my favorite. The conquering of the wall of Jericho, David and Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebedwego. Wait a minute, it's not that time. Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Hey, listen. If you're having trouble uh, magnifying the name of the Lord, read one of those stories. You'll magnify the name of the Lord. Know God's history to his people Israel. Secondly, know what he's done for you by the cross, his burial, and resurrection. Matthew 27 from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on his staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks exploded, and the tombs were broken open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's amazing. Jesus dies. The, 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 the curtain gets torn in two. There's an earthquake. Rocks explode. Dead people come out of the tomb. Then they're seen in the whole, holy people. Abraham. Moses. Holy people. Do you get what I'm saying? Can you imagine being there and all of a sudden you're face to face with one of the prophets from of old because Jesus set the captives free? You understand what I'm saying? So, like, his death was so amazing. The earth shook, rocks exploded, curtains torn, dead people came out back to life. So remember what he's done for you on the cross, the burial and resurrection. Remember what he's done for you personally. He saved you. He's forgiven you. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He comforts you. He heals you. He miraculously provides for you. Remember, remember, remember what God has done for Israel, what Jesus did for you on the cross, and what he's doing for you now. When Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who is great and glorious, Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. See, it's one thing when it says, don't fear the enemy, but you have to also remember the Lord because whose side are you fighting on? Remember the Lord. Lastly, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Men, fight for other men. Men, fight for other men. See, the thing is, is that we're all off in our own little world and we're all going through our own little things. Matter of fact, when you see some people on Sunday, they say, hey, how you doing? I'm all right. And yet we have no idea what that person's going through. We have no idea the demons that they're facing. We have no idea the demands of their job. We have no idea the demands of the home. We have no idea the financial responsibility that this man has. We have no idea. And when we say, when, the, when you say hi and the guy says, all right, guess what, brother? I'm all right, too. Pastor Rick, you all right? Right? Glenn, you all right? You all right? Henry, you all right? Patrick, you all right? We're all right. But the thing is, is we need each other. We need to be able to encourage each other. We spend too much time by ourselves and not enough time encouraging one another, lifting each other up. Strengthening men. Hit me up here real quick. Please. Thank you. Hard times create strong men. What times are we in right now? Yeah. Guess what's coming up out of the dirt? Strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create Hard times. Guess why we're where we're, we're, we're at? 
Weak men. Yes. So that's what we have here. The minute a man wants to be a man, he's labeled toxic. Listen. I'm rough. I'm not polished. I've got rough edges. I get grouchy. I get grumpy. I get a lot of things, but I'm still a man. I get up early in the morning and I go to work. I provide for my house. I love my wife. I provide for my daughter. I spend time with my family. I'm a man. I make no apologies for who I am or what I am. God created me to be a man. I'm a man. You know, I remember one time I was working in the car business and I was out shoveling for hours. Remember that, Pastor Rick? I come in one time and there's this young kid, 20-something. I was already twice his age. He says, why were you out there for so long? I went up to him and I said, because I'm a man. <laughs> why were you in here? Because you're a weak man. <laughs> Didn't want to get your nails dirty. Out there in the cold, shoveling, get in and out of cars, shoveling them out, pushing them out, putting them back. Hours out there. Why did you, you get out there so long? Because I'm a man. And I'm proud of it. And you need to be proud of your manhood, too. You're not toxic. God created you to be rough. He created you to be strong. Created you to have a backbone. He even created you to fight. Stand up for yourself. Stand up for your wife. Stand up for your children. Oh, he's toxic. He's toxic. You're a toxic man. So toxic. We need to fight for a generation of boys. The world esteems effeminate boys as heroes. Thank you. I put on a navy swimsuit and I go swimming and I win awards because I'm, I identify as a man. I identify as a female and I win all these awards. You're a hero. No, you're not. You're an effeminate man. You squandered what God made you to be. You see these men, they go, I want to break fingers. <laughs> men don't do this. Men don't do that. Men don't get pedicures. <laughs> Manicures. Men don't get it. We get dirt in our nails and that's it. We clip our toenails in the summer when we wear sandals. After that, well, it's good luck. We take things out of the hamper, and if they smell okay, it's okay. <laughs> we'll put on a shirt, it'll have barbecue sauce on it, and we're dressed up. <laughs> Why put on another shirt? It's only going to get another stain anyway. But hear me out. Boys are being attacked. Boys are being attacked. They're being told, if you feel like a girl, well, we could, they want to celebrate that. They want to enforce that on them. And then they get confused sexually. Well, what am I? What am I? What am I? And, and the next thing you know, they capture them. Then they say, we'll give you estrogen. We'll give you hormone and blocking injections to take away your masculinity. 
And then if you act like a boy, if you act rambunctious, if you act a little wild, they want to drug you up and sub subject you and, and, and weaken you instead of encourage you to be a man. Excuse me. Men, I know. Men, we need to encourage boys to be men. If there's a little boy climbing a tree and, and feel, well, get down, you'll get hurt. Yes, he may get hurt, but guess what? He's going to get up. We can cast him. Let him be a boy. Let him be a man. Let him fall down and get hurt. Don't subject him to fear. That boy can turn into a warrior, and a warrior can scale walls. And a, 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 a boy can look at something and say, I can do that. I can take that. Why? Because we train them to do that. Do you know in China, they've gotten rid of all effeminate men, and I'm not saying they kill them or put them in, they're no longer on the media. Do you know why? They're getting ready for war. And you don't fight a war with RuPaul. You fight a war with John Wayne. Right? I mean, so, well, we should let these type of people in, 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 the, in the army. Well, who do you want guarding the wall? RuPaul or John Wayne? I want John Wayne on the wall. Who do you want shooting at the enemy? Do you get where I'm coming from? We got to train boys to be men. Because they are, we're getting old and we need their strength to continue the generation and to continue to build the wall. We need boys to become men. And we have to teach boys to be men. And ladies, sometimes I love you, but let them fall. Let them get hurt. Let them scrape their knee. Let them be boys. Let them be boys. Don't wrap them in bubble wrap. Don't. Oh. When they fall, the a dad is like, just get up. Brush it off. They cry. All right, mom, I'm, I understand that part. I do. They do need the nurture. But again, back out there and do it again. Rub dirt on it. Yeah, rub dirt on it. Okay. Fight for your daughters, Isabel and me. I'm going to have to close here real quick. Fight for your daughters. I was out with my daughter a couple of weeks ago. We were getting a card for Jill for Valentine's Day. Actually, we were going to make it, so we had to get go to Arts and Crafts store. And we get, I know, you still asked what you wanted. <laughs> what am I going to tell you? <laughs> Not very manly, was that? <laughs> Let me try it again. I went to the Arts and Crafts store. <laughs> no, but anyway... So we get this stuff to make the card. And I say, okay, let's go home. And Isabella says, no, Daddy, no. I said, what do you want, Isabella? I want to be with you. All right, let's go home. No, Daddy, no. I want to be with you. I don't want to share you with Mommy right now. I want to be with you. What was she saying? Daddy, protect my wall. See, if I don't protect her wall, if I ignore what she just said to me, some creep is going to breach her wall. And he's going to take advantage of her. And he's going to break her heart. And then me and Pastor Rick are going to break, her, break his neck. <laughs> but hear what I'm saying. 
if that happens, I failed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Men, you have to protect the walls of your daughter. Hey, men, it's okay if you don't like you, the boy that's come around. You can tell him. Matter of fact, make it uncomfortable. Matter of fact, throw him out. But my daughter will get upset. Yes, she will. But when she gets old, you know what she's going to say? Thank you for protecting me and protecting my wall. Amen? Okay, so we did fight for, you, fight for men, fight for boys, fight for, for your right to party. No, no, not that one. Fight for girls. Fight for, your, fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Men, it didn't say fight with your wives. It said fight for your wives. Encourage her. You know, what's all right to tell her she's beautiful every now and again. Tell her you love her. Tell her I got your back. That nobody gets through you without going through me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, fight for your wives. Encourage them. Appreciate them. Help them. Help them. Men do dishes. Men do dishes. Men take out the trash. Men mop the floor. Men clean toilets. Well, some men cook. I'm a mad microwaver, man. You need something microwave, you come see me. Two minutes, it's done. Men, fight for your wives. Fight for your wives. See, too many, too many wives are walking around discouraged and, and, and feeling unloved. Why? Because their husbands aren't fighting for them. Look, the fight didn't end because we got them to the altar. That was the beginning. Nobody told me this was a 15-round bout, but it is. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Get on your knees. Fight for your homes. Fight for your children. Fight for the spiritual identity of your home. Fight against spiritual forces that are looking to overtake your home. Hey, you want to fight? Shut off the TV. Hey, you want to fight? Shut off the iPad. Hey, you want to fight? Shut off the phone. Hey, you want to fight? Get up early or stay up a little late. Go someplace and begin to fight for your home. God bless you. Amen. Amen.